0: Welcome to episode 169. It's a mini-episode uh, on guilt, and my guest is a returning guest, Dr. Guy Winch. He's a clinical psychologist, and he's going to have some some uh, insights and tips on how to deal with guilt. Uh, before we get to that, I want to read uh, a survey from uh, Shame and Secrets that has to do with guilt. I'm also going to read some surveys after um, the interview with Guy, and uh, some of them are pretty heavy. So... Um, just giving a warning to, to those of you that um, aren't in the mood for that. You might want to li- not Oh, God. <laughs> this is from the shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Ray. And she's uh, straight. She writes straight, I think, in her 20s, raised in a stable and safe environment, never been sexually abused, but she has been emotionally abused. I was bullied and demeaned by the kids in my elementary school, my teacher and the principal. The teacher would encourage bullying or ignore it and sometimes would add to it. One day, I got kicked out of class for not finishing my math homework, and the principal sat me in his office and told me I was playing games with him my teacher and the school. I couldn't figure out why not finishing my math homework was such a huge deal that would lead to the teacher screaming at me to go outside in the middle of winter in Canada. I was crying when the principal was telling me what I was doing wrong and that I was in the wrong. At the time I was really angry and I hated adults so much. I felt like they were all just mean idiots. Now sometimes I fantasize about go Now sometimes I fantasize about going back in time as an adult into my 11-year-old body and telling my teacher and the principal what I really thought of them and making them feel stupid. But this is more uh, for fun than out of anger. But mostly I'm grateful that this was the worst thing I had to face as a child. I don't hold a grudge against anyone. What makes me feel awful is that I took my anger at this situation out on my little brother. We get along okay now, but it still makes me feel horrible that I did that. I wish there had been some guidance in my life for me to deal with the anger from being bullied in a better way instead of becoming another bully and passing on the hurt. I also took some of my anger out on a school friend who was also being bullied. I just remember that I wasn't as fair to her sometimes. She moved away when I was 10 or 11, and it makes me feel awful that I also passed some of my hurt onto her. Um... Deepest, darkest thoughts, I just get scared that I'll lose control of myself and do something really awful or disgusting, that I'll hurt people for no reason. Uh, Deepest, darkest secrets, Uh, when I was eight, me and my younger brother were mean to a cat that we got. I don't remember thinking we were hurting it or causing it distress since we weren't hitting it or anything, but sometimes we were very mean when we were playing. At the time, we thought it was just funny. This is probably the thing I feel worst about myself for. I feel so incredibly awful for what I did. I feel so sorry for that cat. Maybe I had to grow into compassion. I don't think I would have done something similar by the time I was nine. It honestly, it honestly haunts me. That cat ended up disappearing and I can only hope she was able to live out a happy life with people who treated her well. I've never admitted this to anyone. I love animals so much and it breaks my heart that I caused another being to suffer. Maybe something to come out of this is that I might have a better understanding of how abusers think and act. I don't know. If there was one thing in my life I could change, it would be to always have been kind and caring to that cat. All I can do now is look the truth in the eye and know I hurt an innocent creature. Um. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to say sorry to my brother for being mean to him as we were growing up, but I feel scared to. I did apologize a couple years ago for blowing up at him on a family trip, and I said a lot of the things I've been wanting to say for years, but I didn't apply it to our childhood. I'd like to say sorry to my elementary school friend for not being as good of a friend as I could have been. Uh, What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for the planet to be healed, for violence to end. I wish to be loved. Um... How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel like I've reached somewhere deeper than I need uh, like I've reached somewhere deeper uh, than I need to work on. I need to let go of the past, but it's hard because I'm responsible for hurting others in the past. How do I let go of that? Well, you're in luck because our episode is all about this. I'm here with Guy Winch and uh he has a book out called uh Emotional First Aid and it covers a variety of topics about uh, common uh, emotional issues that we struggle with, and he has some really great practical tips on how to deal with those issues. We've talked about uh, probably five or six other ones. What what one haven't we talked about that you'd like to talk about? Guilt. 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 Oh, my God. Sweet, sweet guilt. Sweet guilt. Uh, what? Talk about
1: it. Well, guilt's an, an interesting thing, psychologically speaking, because it's one of those psychological things, there are many of them, that in small doses are great and in large doses are terrible. And so it's about keeping it in a small dose. Because what does guilt do? Guilt is a signal that warns us that we are about to do or have done harm to another person in some way. And then we either don't do the thing, or we apologize for the thing we've done and try and repair it. So guilt protects our relationships that's its function in our society and because of that our society at large that's its function and so it's very heroic in that sense you know it's like a superhero it swoops in you know there's a signal it swoops in it fixes it and it swoops out again the problem is that in larger doses it goes from hero to villain because in the same way there's that little alarm in your head that goes off oh I have to call my mother Ten minutes later, I have to remember to call my mother. That'll go off many, many times until you do. When our guilt is excessive or when it's unresolved, the alarm doesn't go off. And then it's a real problem because there are people who have guilt that they carry around in some capacity or another for weeks, for months, and sometimes for years. And it's very incapacitating. First of all, it can be when guilt is strong It's very, very distracting. You literally have a hard time focusing because you're constantly thinking about that thing. And it's visceral. It is. It's more than visceral. Uh there's studies that show, because, you know, we say guilt really weighs heavily on us. So in one study, for example, they they had people remember a time where they acted unethically and a time they acted ethically. And then they said to them, as part of a second unrelated quote-unquote study, you know, uh, we each, our weight fluctuates. How would you estimate your weight at the moment compared to normal? And the people who were made to feel guilty estimated their physical weight as being significantly heavier than the people who weren't made to feel guilty. They literally felt weighed down by the guilt. And then they were asked to uh, evaluate how much effort it would take to do certain things. And the people who were made to feel guilty thought it would take much more effort to do the thing, that very same thing, that people who didn't feel guilty evaluated it to be. So guilt not just viscerally weighs us down. Physically, we feel weighed down. It, It does a dramatic thing. Uh, to us. So it's not just um, that it's a distracting thing. It, it affects our concentration. It affects our ability to focus. But it really makes it difficult for us to enjoy life. We really don't feel, you know, when you're really feeling guilty and, oh, come, let's go do this fun thing, you're going to say no. You, you, you don't want to allow yourself that because you're not feeling good. And again, some people feel guilty for a very, very long
0: time. And it
1: really does weigh
0: them down. Probably one of the most profound experiences I ever had was I uh, went to uh, a mentor's house. Uh, We were in a support group and I shared with him my deepest, darkest secrets and fears and resentments. And when I left his apartment, I felt like I was about six inches off the ground. I felt like I had dropped a backpack that weighed 50 pounds that I had been carrying my entire life.
1: And I think that relationships is is where guilt plays out uh, uh, most. And I think getting rid of guilt does make you feel, it's an incredible relief. Here's one of the things that I found when doing the research that I found really amazing about guilt. You would think, all right, well, if guilt is about I did harm to another person, say, then why can't I just undo that? I can just apologize and they'll forgive me and we should be done. But most of the time what happens is the person apologizes, they're forgiven, but the tension is still there. Even if you said sorry and they said, okay, there's still a little tension and you still remember it and you're still thinking about it. That is a sign of one thing.
0: Is that even if the person gave a satisfactory response that felt genuine? No, exactly. That's the caveat. It usually
1: means that you were not given authentic forgiveness. And it usually means that your apology was not effective. That's exactly what that's, exactly what that's about. You're completely, completely right. And when we do uh, research about apologies, here's something interesting that comes up. There are six fundamental ingredients an apology needs to have. We usually employ two. We are stuck at the five-year-old level when it comes to apologies. You know, you drag the five-year-old in, say you're sorry, and the five-year-old goes, fine, I'm sorry, good and they're forgiven. And that's kind of how we think of apologies today. Fine, I'm sorry. Maybe a little bit nicer, but that's all we have in there. I'm sorry. The most important ingredient an apology needs to have to elicit authentic forgiveness for it to be really forgiven, for the tension really not to be there, is the empathy statement. The other person has to truly believe that you get what you did you get the implications of what you did from their point of view not from your point of view it's not about you saying i'm sorry but here's my excuse that doesn't let the other person understand that you get what you put them through excuse or no so if you didn't show up to their birthday party and you're their best friend i'm really sorry i didn't come to the party doesn't cut it i'm really sorry i didn't come because i was working so late on that account etc etc that i got caught up at the office doesn't cut it What would cut it would be something like, I'm really sorry I didn't come. I know how hard you've worked at this party. I know you're my best friend. I know people must have been asking you where I was. I know you must have spent most of the night wondering about it and thinking about it, and I probably ruined that entire party for you. And I just feel terrible about that, because I know how important it was, and I single-handedly ruined it. I just That would be something like that would show them, yeah, that was the impact you had. So you get it now. And then if you're atoning for it in some way, then if you then the forgiveness, then the apology carries weight.
0: Yeah, that sincerity and, and the fact that you've taken the time to picture what it must have felt like in their yes, shoes. Yes. Yes, you must. You, if you want authentic forgiveness. And I would even say that that sometimes can bring you closer to that person because you have that quality that is so important in a friend, which nobody wants a friend that's perfect. They just want a friend that they know sees them and can put themselves in their shoes. Um, who gets them. Who gets them. Yeah. The, such an important thing. And yes, when we feel
1: somebody really gets us, especially when our feelings were hurt and they really get us, we want to hug them and not let go. Yeah. It's, a, it's an incredible strong thing. So, you know, in, in the book, I break down all these ingredients. I give a lot of case studies and examples about missing this crucial ingredient, missing that crucial ingredient, and what the impact was, and how you need to, to figure that out. So apologies are a very, very important thing, because what typically happens when we didn't apologize successfully, when attention the is there, we'll start avoiding that person, because they remind us, they make us feel bad. And over time, rather than repairing the relationship... We're distancing ourselves. We're making it worse. And then the bigger problem is when it happens within families, because then there's a real divide. And then families often coalesce on two sides of the divide. And, you know, it, it really is, I'm not sure the Hatfield and McCoy started that way, but something like it. You know what I mean? In other words, the, 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 it, it's really something. And it's so easy. I mean, it's not that easy to do that exercise of putting yourself in someone else's shoes in terms of intellectually, it's not, and emotionally, it's not. But it's easy comparatively, spend the 10 minutes to do it, fix it, rather than live years with this tension and not go there and not go there because it reminds you and they remind you. And
0: So let's, let's take a more complicated situation. Let's say that you didn't go to that person's birthday party because they had said something to you a month ago. Maybe they had humiliated you at an outing. They had made some joke that hurt your feelings. Do you just put that aside for another day and suck it up, put yourself in that person's shoes, separate the two events, and apologize with sincerity in putting yourself in them shoes, in their shoes, and then deal with the other thing later? Look, ideally,
1: you would contact them a week before the party and said, we need to talk. I really want to come to your party. I'm feeling a little resistance because I'm I'm really hurt by what happened at that other time when you kind of said that thing that I felt really insulted by. I mean, ideally, you would take care of that before. And by the way, if you know that you're carrying around those feelings, to and it's a close friend, you you want to bring that up. I mean, as difficult as it might be, you have to bring it
0: up, and hopefully they'll be close enough that they can absorb it, and hopefully you will express it in terms of your of your feelings and not what they did i you know, statements yes yes what you know um when you said such and such um it hurt me it it made me feel or i i felt this way um not it made me feel um because ultimately it is how we decide to uh let it uh affect us
1: right and also we can't assume their intention in other words yes we might have Taken it this certain way and felt convinced that if they said it that way, they must have meant it that way. But we say things, in, in, not in the way we mean them, all the time. It comes out wrong, right? You know, like,
0: like the, one of the most the least helpful things you could do is to say you're always being a dick to me.
1: Yeah, all the always the generalizations. Yeah, the always the never that you know. So, but when friendships that are important. You know, like anything, like any relationship that's going to be a long-lasting relationship takes work. Don't throw a relationship away or throw a history away without at least trying to express uh, something that's going on. Now, if the other friend can't contain it or like, yeah, well, I don't think that was a big deal. We're just making a big deal of nothing. And they're being very, very unempathic and they're being very
0: unsupportive and unsympathetic. Some thinking to be done. Yeah. Is this a person I want to be friends with? Is this a person that I will maybe just be an acquaintance with and keep my walls up around yeah. them.
1: Yeah, lower the expectations. Yeah.
0: What are some other tips for... Uh...
1: So one of the things we have to look out for with guilt is that it can actually induce us to self-punish. They did one study with college students where they rigged a situation where they said, oh, we're going to play this game. And they told them that they deprived another college students of lottery tickets, a couple of lottery tickets, a couple of bucks worth of lottery tickets. And so they made the people feel guilty by doing that. Now, these are computerized things. They didn't deprive anyone. And they wanted to see if they'll be willing, the guilty people, uh, to give themselves an uncomfortable electrical shock. So they showed them the contraption. They said, put your hand here. That scowling person over there is the person that didn't get the lottery tickets. The scowling person was a research confederate. Put your hand here. Here's a switch. If you're willing to give yourself the electrical shock, flip
0: the switch. I imagine 90% of the people did it. Huge. I forget the numbers, but a
1: huge amount of people flipped the switch. Now, look. Let's be very clear. I want to do it just here. There was that. no contraption. There was no electrical shock. Because the people say, well, that's a terrible thing. I'm like, no, no, no. They didn't actually shock people. The point is to see if they would. They don't need to hook them up to an actual electrical shock, because that's not the point of the study, to just punish them for... But they, they wanted to see who would flip the switch, and many, many, many people did. Now, look, that was depriving a stranger of two lottery tickets. Really? You would give yourself an uncomfortable electrical shock, but that's the power of guilt. It will really make us uh, self punish I did another study with the same kind of device and said to people, here's your reward for the study. You can choose from the prizes. And half the people were made to feel guilty and half not. And the people that were not chose CDs and movies and this and this and that. And this is college students. And the people who were made to feel guilty chose uh, notebooks and pens and school supplies because let's go with the thing that's, you know, not fun, you know. So guilt and it's a very t- often in very unconscious ways we kind of self punish we self sabotage because we're feeling guilty we feel we don't deserve it so this is very important for us but we won't make the big effort because we don't
0: deserve to have it anyway I always feel too like guilt is uh, just a flip side of the same coin that grandiosity is on the other side because it's a way of continuing to obsess about oneself um, and I think they're both equally unhealthy because they both make us feel apart from everybody else we're either better than everybody else or we're less than everybody else and to me, the sweet spot is to get in the place of feeling one of many and being okay with that does that it it being a, a having a component of there's something comforting about continuing to obsess about ourself, is that does that ring true for you or is that just my own kind of prejudice and my own theory? I think it's true for quite a few people. But my general approach in general is
1: when you have a negative feeling, it can be guilt, it can be emotional pain, it can be loneliness, rejection, whatever it is. When you have a negative feeling, note it, figure out what it's about, figure out what action steps you can take to uh, deal with it. And then do those. There are very few feelings. I suggest yes, just just wallow in that for a while. There, there's 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 none. There for, well you know if you're thrilled and fine. But I'm saying, but mostly figure out because and this is the thing about my book. I for most of these common daily things, there are steps you can take that will make you feel better. There are things that can you can do that will resolve the issue. So figure out what that is. Resolve it. Will give us some tips for how to deal with guilt. So apologies effective apologies with the empathy statement that's one very important what thing. if it's a person you can't contact so if the person is dead or you can't contact them then there are certain then you can decide then it's about self forgiveness and self forgiveness is not something you can just decide like i'm going to you know i'm going to forgive myself done no. <clears throat> well that would be nice but we can't do that we really have to figure out um, and i i give a plan in my book uh, it, you have to do it step by step you have to really To be able to forgive yourself, you have to give a very brutally honest accounting of the harm you did. And then only once you've really been clear about this is the impact of what I did, can you start to figure out, okay, what will atone for that? What's a way of giving back that I can use? So I did this, I harmed a person. How many hours of volunteer work do I need to do for me to feel I've evened the score? You know, what's the action I need to do? That would make me feel that was a sacrifice on my part. Again, it's not about self-suffering, but giving to others. You know, the way you even the score is not by punishing yourself, but by giving to others, donating your time, your money, whatever it is, to, to others. Um, obviously, someone related in the same sphere, so that but it has meaning. You know, there was, there was one girl I worked with, she was a teenager. She would habitually steal money out of her parents' wallets. She found out that her dad had lo- lost his job six months later and that they were really, really, really struggling. And she had no idea. And she heard her parents talk about and they were like a mess, the parents. And she suddenly realized, fuck, they're struggling like crazy. And I've been like stealing cash. And she felt horrible about it. But she also said, I don't want to tell them. She said, now her rationalization, which I kind of agreed with was, why well, upset them mm-hmm. more? Now I kind of agreed. I said, all right, but if you don't upset them by telling them, what can you do? And she said, I'll work. I'll sneak the money back. I said, all of it? She goes, all of it. So she spent the next six months working and sneaking the money back.
0: And that was her way of undoing it, which I felt was like literally dollar for dollar. Fair enough. Would it benefit her at some point down the road, maybe when her parents became more stable, to apologize for it as well? Absolutely.
1: But when her parents are more stable, and in hindsight, because I think it's such a testament to her character that she did that, and she did... To me, I mean, that's such a great thing for a teenager to, to take that on and to actually see it through, because teenagers take on a lot of things, but they don't see them through. I think it would something that would warm her parents' heart if told, but down the road, once they're not in that danger zone, once she's an adult and they can see this is what our girl did. I mean, that's kind of a nice story, I, I think. So
0: yes, absolutely. It's It's been my experience that the energy that I apologize to somebody with, um, when that energy has a sincerity to it and a humility to it. Um I can only think of one instance where that person uh rejected my apology and I wanted to punch him in the face. Mm. Um it was a guy that I think I'd gotten into a, a fight with in, in hockey. And he had actually been a a dick. Uh he had a part in it, but I thought, you know, I'm just gonna apologize for my for my part. Not the one who said he loved you. No, no okay. a different guy. You heard okay. that episode. Yeah, um that guy's a great guy. Um, but it, it reminded me that it's important that I just take care of my part in it and triage that part of how they're going to react into the, into the area of, I have no control over this. I only have control over the energy that I bring to that apology. And I don't, I see that person now and again, and I actually feel sorry for him because I think he must be so emotionally closed off that, that he can't connect with with somebody else on that level he must be so stuck in victim victim role um that i my anger for him subsided probably after i don't know three or four three or four months
1: oh well, look there, i'll, I'll share with you something i don't recommend in the book but it's something i personally do in those uh situations i'm Slightly hesitant to share it because I haven't thought it through well enough to know whether it's something I would recommend. But I'm just sharing. This is what I do, so listeners don't necessarily is, practice this is, it.
0: This is guy stepping out of his PhD and just stepping to- out of
1: the PhD for sure. So I try and practice what I preach, and every once in a while I'll come across um, someone like that. You know, someone where I'm doing the right thing and for all the sincere reasons, and they're being a dick. So I have one of those moleskin books, and it's an asshole book. (laughs) And if I've done everything I think is okay, and they're just a dick, then they go into the book as because they're just an asshole. And then I put their name down there. And I kind of like erase them in that sense from, you know, from my life in whatever capacity I can, because they apparently they're just a dick. But once I put them once I documented them as to be official assholes, it's easier for me to just not feel bad about the fact that I made myself vulnerable and opened myself up and did the right thing to someone who just took a shit on me in response. I just, well, apparently, they go in the book. And then when it happens, because I have that book, what I say to myself immediately in that scenario is, a new entry for the book. And that alone <laughs> makes me feel better, knowing that that's, I'm going to be putting that name in that book.
0: That's great. That's great. And I think the skin on the mole skin should be puckered. <laughs> this variety of covers you can put on that, yeah. <laughs> uh, what are some other uh, tools or, or tips for somebody dealing with guilt? So I'll just mention one more. Um, the survivor guilt is a big
1: thing. Uh, yeah. Parents of children who've been disabled or are chronically ill um, feel, well, I, I, you know, my my kid's suffering at home with this and this and this, or, you know, my, my kid's going through a year of chemo. How can I go out and have fun? You know, and... But in fact, to be a good caretaker for your child, you you really have to be able to go out and have as much fun as you can. Mind you, don't you know? But so, you know, and so survivor guilt is something that's that's difficult, or loyalty guilt, or separation guilt. They're all of the same ilk. It's like what happens with those situations is you didn't do anything wrong, but you're feeling guilty nonetheless. And so there, you really have to uh, find reasons to rationalize for yourself why it's important that you allow yourself to put that guilt aside to do the thing that would keep your life uh, happy and and satisfying and with meaning. And you have to come up with that rationale, you know. So yes, you were in a support group for, for, for breast cancer survivors and your best friend in the group died and you just don't feel like doing anything. And so one of the things you can think to yourself is, all right, but then you're letting cancer claim another victim. Do you want to do that? Is that what you're saying? That even though you didn't die, you're going to be another victim to cancer. And, you know, or, or you know, the wife died and the husband is left with the kids and, and he's, he's too depressed. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to re-engage in life. And then it's like kind of, but your kids can tell. and Now it's like they've lost both parents. So I, I give in the, in the book a lot of lists of a lot of uh, things that you can think about to help you kind of get your way through that thicket. Because it's very difficult with those kind of things. You have nothing to atone for or um, or, or apologize for. You're just laden, and so there the ways you can try and uh, and unburden yourself somewhat.
0: I would imagine because the the feeling of um, the feeling of having joy in your life would feel like you were betraying the camaraderie that you had with that yes, that person. It feels like a betrayal, as if you're insensitive to to their pain, right? You know, as if you're you know as if the two have to be mutually exclusive you experiencing joy and the other person experiencing pain
1: right and if you then think about it from the other person's point of view i cannot think of a situation in which the other person would indeed want you to sacrifice that to give that up to to be in solidarity and suffering with them for some kind of reason i mean it just if that person wants that they go in my book
0: by the way yeah. you know and so it's not the case yeah. and, and and it it would be different if that person was constantly out having a great time and neglecting being there for you oh, as a as a friend or a caretaker. Absolutely right. Okay. Um, so is there practical advice for how to go about that? Even though it feels disingenuous or like betrayal,
1: you have to find the rationale that works for you. And and you know, in the book, I give very you know a lot of uh, case studies and rationales, and you need to read through them and find. Or come up with the one that really works for you because it doesn't serve the other person that you suffer alongside them it's not what they want it's not what they need and it will deprive you of really being able to to caretake if
0: that's your situation or or, I mean it's just not necessary and and you know I would add that giving comes from a reservoir and if if that reservoir is depleted um, it it can really have disastrous effects when you feel like you have nothing to give, but then you're giving from a place of you're afraid you're a bad person if you don't continue to give. Right. You know the the idea is 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 to just build build that up, have so that you have some some abundance to give from. Right, it. and oftentimes the only way to get that is by feeding yourself by doing things that are that are nice for yourself. Right. Otherwise, it's going to be resentment and burnout, and that's not helpful to you or the other person. Yeah. Um, anything
1: else on, on guilt? I think those are the main, the main points on guilt.
0: You're an awesome guy. thank you. Awesome guy, guy. (laughs) Uh, Guy Winch's website's guywinch.com and the book is, uh, Emotional First Aid. Many, many thanks to, uh, to Guy. And as I warned you before, uh, some of these surveys, uh, I think I've got four of them that I'm going to read are, uh, are pretty heavy and, um, I got a nice one at the end nice upbeat one at the end but um speaking of guilt, I watched a documentary last night that um was so so interesting it's called inheritance and it's uh about the daughter of one of the worst uh nazi perpetrators um in fact the it was the guy who the Ray Fiennes character uh portrayed in the movie schindler's list and it's her daughter. Wanting to meet with one of the victims, one of the um, Jewish girls who had worked in his villa when he was in charge of that concentration camp, and it was about her guilt, um, and her wanting to be absolved of her guilt, even though she did nothing. She was, she never even met her father. He died when she was like a year old. Um, but it's called inheritance, and um, I don't know. I, I just thought it was really moving and and really well done. And um, anyway. Let's get to the surveys. This one is from the Shame and Secret. I think they're all from the Shame and Secret survey, except for the happy moment one we we wrap it up with. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself Legionnaire. And um, he is straight in his 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. And... Um, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it while sleeping off a night of heavy drinking at a friend's house my male friend performed oral sex on me i was unconscious so i only learned of it after the fact when he shamefully confessed this to me at first i was a little hurt and felt taken advantage of but i quickly forgave him we are still very close i don't think it was i don't think it has done any real lasting damage because i don't actually remember the abuse uh, he has never been physically or emotionally abused any positive experiences with your abuser? Many positive experiences with him, but it simplifies rather than complicates my feelings. He struggles with alcoholism and has a history of sexual abuse, and I would rather greet him with empathy than judgment or ridicule. He has otherwise been a great friend to me. Um, boy, you sound like a really compassionate um, person. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts? I hardly feel guilt or remorse for the terrible thoughts that I have. Uh, I think it is normal to have fucked up scenarios or fantasies play in your head as long as you don't let them haunt you, but I am also insecure uh, and a people pleaser, and I would be too chicken shit to admit I've thought about pedophilia, murder, rape, or suicide. I'm mostly terrified of being disliked or rejected, and it cripples me emotionally darkest secrets i've been getting cold sore since i was an infant it was never really explained to me that it is herpes and it can be spread to the genitals i've been tested and i don't have the virus on my genitals as far as the tests are concerned i first became sexually active at 16 and ended up giving it to my then girlfriend after going down on her i didn't have a cold sore but still managed uh, to spread the virus we broke up later that year for other reasons seven years later um, we stayed in contact for other reasons, seven years later. Um, uh, no, seven years later, we stayed in contact off and on and dated other people. Recently, she unfriended me on Facebook and sent me a very angry message saying she had just been rejected by someone she cared for greatly and she has damaged goods because of me. I feel guilty for ruining her chances at having a relationship. I feel guiltier still because I have lied by omission to nearly 20 other partners. And while I don't think I have given anyone uh, else herpes, I think it's fucked up and selfish to risk their safety and not give people the truth about me. But I am so very afraid of being rejected. Um... What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would tell my father he should never have had me because sometimes I'd rather I never existed than to live with the emotional fallout of being abandoned by someone who can't love you because they don't know how to love themselves. What do you wish for? I wish I loved myself more, cared less about what others think, and weren't so terrified of confrontation. Oh, my God, do I relate to that one? Um, Have you shared these things with others? I have, but not the people I need to share them with. Or the ones that need to hear it. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? Still like I am not enough. Like I am broken. Um, Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences. I'd like to ask them how they cope. Thank you for sharing that. And um, you know one of the things that stuck out to me as I was reading that. Is uh, I know probably a half a dozen people who have confided in me that they have uh, herpes, and they all have partners. They've been honest with their, you know, were honest with their partners before they got into the relationship and um, are in committed relationships. So I think people have an idea that once you get herpes, um, nobody's ever going to want to date you. But uh, as I said, friends of mine are proof that 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 is not the case. Um, I think that means that it doesn't have its hurdles, but this is same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Lauren and she is bisexual in her twenties raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment uh was the victim of se- ever been the victim of sexual abuse Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts um deepest. Darkest thoughts that I am worthless, and everyone knows it and talks about it. Darkest secrets. I had an abortion a year ago. I feel relieved because my boyfriend and I still have our lives and the paths we planned, uh, which included being childless, but I'm excessively guilt-ridden at least two days out of the week. It wasn't the baby's fault we were not ready or that we did not want it. Only my mom, boyfriend, and best friend know. And it pains me. That only my best friend is okay talking to me about it and making sure I'm all right. My boyfriend and I haven't talked about it in months, which hurts more. I feel like it doesn't bother him, and my mom only mentions it when I sadly pine over babies of people I know and just mockingly says, "Aren't you glad you don't you didn't have yours?" I admit. I've wanted to even have my tubes tied just so this doesn't happen again and because I feel like wanting a baby eventually is greedy and hypocritical when I killed a perfectly fine and innocent child just because I wasn't ready deep down I know that I could not have carried to carried to adoption because it would have ruined my family and my just graduating college career and that child's life had I kept and that child's life had I kept it would not be what I would want or be able to give my child, and I probably would be jobless, alone, and living with my parents if my dad would be able to live with a mixed bastard grandchild. That is one of the longest motherfucking sentences I have ever navigated my way through. I think if you should feel guilty about anything, it should be for unloading that sentence on me. And... Knowing there was the possibility that I would ever have to read that out loud. Sweet mother of God. I want like a, like the people that greet you at the end of the marathon finish line. I want them there with Gatorade. Oh, that was, that was, I didn't think I was going to make it. I, my heart almost stopped halfway through that thing. I was like, "Oh, you can't go back again. You've, you've already stopped five times in the middle of it. Just keep going. Keep going. Sweet Mother of God! Uh, anyway, back to uh, back to the survey. I'm stuck in this tug of war of relief and guilt. Thankfully, most days are relief, but the guilty days are dark. Well, I'm sending you a hug because that um, I don't know what's that lo- what that must be like, and um, just sending you sending you some love. But I do know there's a gazillion listeners out there that probably know exactly exactly how you feel. In fact, if we don't have a thread um, about that uh, on the forum, we should, uh, we should create one. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by uh, Lissy. She is uh, bisexual in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, yes, and I reported it, and yes, and I never reported it. So uh, clearly there were two at least two instances. I was repeatedly raped by my mother's younger brother when I was preschool age. I eventually told my mother about it. He was basically exiled from the family, but he was never reported to the authorities. I have almost no memories of this, but I remember being in therapy afterwards and talking about the dreams I'd have of him chasing me around our apartment. A few years later, I became convinced that I didn't have many memories of the abuse because it didn't happen, and I became consumed with shame because I thought that I'd ruined his life over a lie. Uh, I am now positive that it did happen. When I was in college, I went to a New Year's Eve party and met a guy who was very aggressive with me physically, kissing me at midnight against my will. I got drunk and spent the night at the host's apartment sharing a bed with my roommate. I woke up in the middle of the night to the guy undressing and beginning to have sex with me. After he finished, he went to sleep in the bed with us and in the morning, he initiated sex again. I didn't refuse. Afterward, his friends made fun of me because he told them that I was desperate for him to do it. Um, she has been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, my mother regularly beat me to the point of injury when I was growing up. She also talked to me about... Her marital problems starting when i was very young and often uh, threatened suicide wow i'm so sorry that you've had to experience those things um darkest thoughts i have frequently obsessive thoughts about flesh being cut or torn i have an intense fear of blood so i would never purposely cause a flesh injury like that but i have those thoughts whenever i have to use a knife or scissors um deepest, darkest secrets. When I was six, I started to act out the sexual abuse I suffered on my sister, who is four years younger than me. Uh, When it started, I thought it was a normal thing to do, but it went on for seven years. I am deeply disgusted by this. I'm not a pedophile, but I've done a terrible thing. I feel like I don't deserve to feel like a victim of childhood, uh, a victim of sexual abuse, because I went on to become an abuser myself. She and I have never talked about it. She went on to have sex very early and is a really angry person, and I know that it's my fault. I don't know how to get over it because it's not something for which I can grant myself forgiveness. Sometimes when I'm having sex or masturbating, a memory of it will pop into my head, and I will become filled with a combination of shame and arousal that disgusts me. Um, You know, my, my first thought is people who have been sexually abused, um you know, their scar tissue often lays in their fantasies and, um, don't judge yourself. Don't judge yourself for that. And I want to read what to the, to the question, um, uh, Have you shared these things with others? She writes, My husband knows about my kinks, and we act them out in a loving, safe way. He knew almost all the details of my childhood early on, but I didn't tell him about what happened with my sister until about a year ago. Well, we've been together for seven years. He told me that I'm not a bad person, and that my sister was merely another victim of my uncle's predatory behavior. It's the worst thing about me, that knowing that he knows it and accepts me anyway is really beautiful. And after writing it down, she feels unburdened. And anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, uh, we can be okay. Well, it sounds like you—you you understand. Uh, well, it sounds like you have a great husband who is is helping you see that you're you're a good person. And um, you know, I don't think any of us get get through life unscathed. You know either hurting somebody else and feeling guilt about it or being hurt ourselves and having resentment or fear and the other thing that struck out to me about your survey too was how completely emotionally abandoned you were in your childhood and you know that thing that happened in the apartment um, when you were when you were an adult with that guy um I see that time and time and time again uh, People who, as children, were given the message that their needs didn't matter by their parents have such a hard time advocating for themselves, have such a hard time feeling good about themselves. And um, anyway, sending you a hug, sending you some love. This last one uh, really, really touched me. And this was from a woman who calls herself Kill Me Now. And she is um, straight, she's 35. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, never been sexually abused. Um, although she qualifies. Uh, I chose no, but not so sure. My gut makes me think something happened at some point, probably around fifth grade. Um, everything changed My grades, my attitude, and hypersensitivity went bananas. My brain has this wonderful way of blocking out what I don't want to deal with and leaving me with only the mildly bad and skewed version of memory with the bonus of metal scars, unsure why they are there. Thank you to my older sister for filling in some of the blanks of our past, which just reaffirms to me that I can't trust my childhood memories at all. Um. She has been emotionally abused. My father was a raging alcoholic, but I was the favorite and the son he never had. Lucky me, he wouldn't physically take his aggression out on me. He actually only ever hit me once, but would unload all of the hate of his life on me every day after school, which was directly the fault of my mother and my sister by association, because I think my sister reminded him of my mother. My sister was older, so she could go to friends' houses after school, and I got stuck with a lunatic after a shit day at work. I wouldn't stand up to him when he talked about my sister and mother like they were worthless pieces of shit, stupid whore, uh, stupid whores, cocksuckers. You name it, he called them it for hours. I was terrified to disagree for fear that I would end up in their category and hated so I would patiently sit and listen to him blame his miserable existence on my mother and sister, waiting for him to wear himself out and be too drunk to keep interest and need a nap. Ugh, what a selfish dick. My mother's emotional abuse was his selfish neglect, too wrapped up in my father's alcoholism and their problems to deal with us. Thanks, Mon, for leaving me alone with that lunatic every day. I know you had to work, but you have left... But you could have left and taken us away from that madness. To sum up, my mother would be: "I love you. Go away." The phrase most used in my house, when an idea was presented, "What do you want? Uh, what do you want to do that for?" In the most negative, are you stupid way possible? Even if it were to start a savings account for all my birthday money till I was 18, so I could buy my own car and get the fuck out of there. Uh, that one might be in second place for the second most difficult sentence to get through um, any positive experiences with your abusers uh, I should not like my dad but I favor him sometimes to my mother but they are both nuts and should really and should really dislike both for many reasons I favor my father because he has no excuses he never claimed to be a great dad and I remember him feeling embarrassed when I bought him a coffee mug that said number one dad we both knew it wasn't true he never pretended though my mom till this day talks mad shit about how my father made our lives hell mainly hers but if we complain she acts completely shocked like she has no idea what we are talking about and acts like we didn't have it bad guilt is a bitch and makes you deny to save face i guess deepest darkest thoughts i fantasize about being in a physically abusive relationship with someone controlling and obsessed with me to the point of legitimate fear it's messed up but i think i would finally feel really wanted deepest darkest secrets and this is this is the part of it that i really wanted to um i really wanted to read uh i was 16 and didn't know i was pregnant i think i knew i just chose not to believe it i went into labor watching letterman and my mother uh with my mother before trying to go to bed for school the next day. I screamed into my pillow all night long until it subsided for a bit. I got up, got dressed for school. Both parents went to work already, Sister still home. Uh, my water broke in my bedroom and panic set in. Reality set in, but still not 100%. I felt an enormous pressure and went into the bathroom, grabbed a hand mirror, and saw the top of a head, hair and all. That's when it became real. And there was no maybe, I'm crazy, or imagining this. I sat on the toilet and pushed until my baby came out into my hands. I moved to the tub because she was still connected to me, and the rest came out, which felt like all of my insides fell out of my body. Um, I cut her cord, not knowing if there was a right way to do it, hoping that I wouldn't hurt her, and wrapped her in a towel and brought her to my room after cleaning the mess I made so my sister wouldn't see. She didn't cry or make a single sound. Nothing. She was very much alive and alert and healthy, but not a peep. While I was scrambling to think, she started to cry a bit, and I remember my sister saying, What are you doing? It sounds like a cat meowing. I said it must be outside, and she left for school. I called my mom and faked sick, and she called the school to say I wasn't coming. Alone with my daughter, I stared at her precious, quiet face. She was so beautiful. I'm not proud to say the rest of this, but I swaddled her in a sweatshirt and placed her in my black Jan Sport backpack, put the placenta in a bag and dropped it off in a random garbage can and walked about 1.5 miles to the church where I left her on the doorstep. I chose not to leave her on the steps on my school church, but to go to that one. To this day, I don't know why, because I could barely leave her on the steps on my school's church, but to go to that one, To this, uh, I could barely... Oh! To this day, I don't know why, because I could barely walk. It was February 24th, 1990, question mark. Thankfully, it was unseasonably warm that day, so I knew she would be okay. I remember walking up to the Statue of Mary outside the church and kneeling down to pretend to pray because someone was coming out of the rectory, and I felt I looked suspicious pacing around, trying to say goodbye to my backpack. At least that's what it looked like. I said goodbye, kissed her beautiful face placed her on the steps, and walked home. It made the news. She was found right away and brought to the hospital. They named her Mary. I wonder every day if she is okay, if she looks like me and, God forbid, takes after me. I'm a monster and selfish for assuming she turned out okay because it makes me feel better. No one turns out okay from this. It eats me alive, wondering if she was abused in foster care and that I wasn't there to protect her. I threw her away because I didn't want to deal with my parents and was afraid of inconvenience, inconveniencing them. Fucking weak and shameful. Uh, I bear many scars from this and my unhappiness uh, I justify as deserved because I need to pay for this quietly and I do every day. So please don't send me hugs for this in any way. I just thought I would share since it hasn't been a subject yet. And yes, I'm a shitty person, but surprisingly outside of this, I'm not too bad. I'm just really fucked up. I would give the shirt off my back. Um I would give the shirt off my back uh but put I would give the shirt off my back but put my daughter on a doorstep. Take that as you will. Wow, I am repulsive and uh, I have to say fuck you I'm giving you a hug and I'm going to slop some love on top of that uh, and I think any person that that heard me just read this is probably choking back tears for, for your pain for what you're feeling um, and they're not thinking you're uh, a bad person they're thinking that poor 16 year old girl was trapped had no tools at her disposal, was not living in a safe house. You know, I think we're feeling nothing but empathy for you. And, you know, this this moved me so much. I, I sometimes share with my wife. I try not to overshare. But when I read a survey that really moves me, um, I'll share it with my wife. And I read this to her. And she just looked at me matter-of-factly. And she said, that woman's my fucking hero. So suck on that, and and my wife is not a an overly maudlin person. Um. You you have made it through a lot, and there you go. There you have it. Let's end with a um, happy moment, and this is filled out by a uh, trans male who calls himself J. Martin C., and he writes, Last week I was having heightened anxiety, and on Friday I knew I didn't want to spend the evening alone, but also couldn't handle crowds. I put a call out to my friends and went to dinner with a friend that I hadn't had a deep talk with before. We gossiped, talked about our problems, a nice mixture of chat and real talking. It was the first nice night of the year, and we decided to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge to Manhattan. Part of the way across, my friend remembered he was afraid of heights, so I held his hand and we talked about who we would make out with in our group. It felt so good to be able to support my friend so soon after he had supported me. I went home completely relaxed. The emotional stress of the week was completely gone. Thank you for that. and. um Oh, any comments to make the podcast, brother? I love the mini episodes. They've all been really useful, and I've been using Doctor Winch's tips pretty frequently. I've been getting a lot of really, really nice feedback from people that um, are loving the mini episodes and digging his book. And uh, I just love the that the image of two friends walking across the uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, gossiping and holding hands. It's so beautiful. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, we'll see you on Friday.